two, one, 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 one. Okay, we're recording on that. We're on that. All right. How was your drive here? A little three-hour commute, 176 miles. Nothing compared to last week, my 1,500 miles to water on the fire conference. I'm back in Pensacola Beach, Florida. What was the weather like there? Hot. It was hot, hot all hot. week. Was it sticky at all? It actually was very sticky. Uh, we just set up our props on Tuesday, and then Thursday, hands-on, was pretty warm. So, oh. But got out before the hurricane started to come in. Hurricane Ida, right? Yes. Mm. So what's the farthest you've driven in one time? It's pretty much water on the fire or the high-rise conference in Pensacola Beach. It's 11 hours each way. Wow. So, But I have to bring my, my vehicle with all my equipment. Because I'm the, one of the closest uh, to the uh, facility down there um, at the Hilton that they operate out of. How long have you worked at the company you work for? Um, it's Elkhart Brass, right? Actually, I work for Safe Fleet, which is the parent company to Elkhart Brass, Foam Pro, ROM, and Fire Research Corporation. I'm their national sales manager, oversee seven guys in the field uh, responsible for sales throughout the United States and fire uh, EMS and industrial. Hmm. So let's let's start back from the beginning. Where where did this start with the fascina- fascination of the fire service for you, Andy? For me, it was my dad. Uh, he joined the fire service when I was probably about five years old and just started hanging around firehouses then. And uh, I was born and raised in Connecticut. And basically, uh, we lived on a lake. So the fire department I belonged to there had two stations and they nicknamed our house station three because everybody was there on the weekends or whatever, swimming and, and enjoying the lake. But, um, that was where I started, uh, 12 members of my family are in the fire service. So kind of gravitated towards, uh, getting a job in the fire service. And the first company I worked for was a company called OnSpot. They make the automatic tire chains mm-hmm. that go underneath ambulances, school buses, fire trucks. I saw one of the posts recently. I think it was recently about that with the chains that it spins down yes. on a pivot. Yep. And then the chain spins. I've yep. never seen that before. Yeah. Um, they actually really were started in Connecticut where I lived, and they ended up moving me to the Midwest. So uh, started as a uh, regional manager covering an area up in the Northeast. And then they asked me to become their operations manager. So I started a manufacturing facility um, from four empty walls to basically uh, we used to import product and we outsourced uh, locally in the U.S. uh, 98% of the product. So started, you know, actually, like I said, four empty walls and bought equipment, machines, um, had a machinist there that could uh, figure out how to make everything from scratch. That's really cool. So you've got a background in machining. Correct. And metalwork. Yes. Um, and that's where that all started at that point, where I was physically buying uh, five-axis milling machines and all types of lathes and equipment to be able to do that. Uh, you have to have that. And then outsourcing was part of my responsibility, where whether it was investment castings of aluminum or rubber or, or whatever it may be. Wow, that is so cool. So for the fire service side, when that comes in after seeing your dad in the fire service, what was the first department you started working for? Uh, it was Nichols Fire Department, which is in Trumbull, Connecticut, uh, which is the one that still my whole family belongs to. Went back there three years ago for their 100th anniversary. It was a wow. 
wonderful event to be able to see quite a few people that I uh, grew up around. So it was awesome to do that. That's really cool to be able to do that and be a part of that as well. Yeah, for the exactly. Years. Yep. That it is was, so cool. It was neat. What's it like neat. having family in the fire service? Um, the be- I guess the best thing was that I could go to the firehouse and I guess use adult language, swear, <laughs> and not get in trouble. Um, and that was something. I have an older brother and a younger sister, both that were on a department. Uh, my brother has been chief of that department at one point, as my uncle has. And my mom just recently retired as the uh, tax collector, and she was a commissioner for 20 years before that. So she had 30 years in the volunteer fire department wow. there. How many years do you have in the fire Right now, now, I'm 39 years. 39 years. Yep. And 35 years in the fire industry. Wow. So been around it. You know, like I said, my whole life started at five years old and basically never left a firehouse. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. So today, what we'll be talking about is the attack line, the attack lines from the truck to the house, correct? Correct. So um, for stuff into that, let's talk to me like I'm just a brand new guy. Mm-hmm. That way I can fully understand what you're talking about with combining the nozzle with the hose Yep. as well. So, so as part of... Elkhart Brass, we typically get brought in as a subject matter expert Mm -hmm. to basically look at the attack package from the apparatus through the hose to the nozzle on the end and help develop the package that they're looking for, the attack package. Fire apparatus of today have really changed. For me, when I go into a, a facility, a fire department, they'll ask me to come in, start asking the questions. What's your target flow? What's your current flow? Where, you know, what are you looking for out of this attack package, whether it's an inch and three quarter, whether it's two and a half, whatever it may be, to get them to that point. Once I get in the fire department, I'll go ahead and look over the actual apparatus and get an idea. It's no different than when we go to a fire. We do a 360 on the building. I'm doing a 360 on the firehouse. I try, or on the fire truck. I try to keep it as simple as possible that I can understand what they're trying to accomplish. I'll look at the hose, determine whether or not it's hose that's designed for 100 psi nozzles. I'll get behind the pump panel, see what kind of uh, plumbing they have, whether it's a newer truck, an older truck. Today's truck, some of them have rubber hose. Uh, behind there that it might look very large on the outside but on the inside it's small and has high friction loss capability on the interior on the interior correct yes yes or they'll use standard metal plumbing Mm -hmm. and you can tell a lot of times if they go ahead and there's not a lot of victolic couplings everything is welded seemed very nice you're going to have less friction loss Um, i've ran into different situations where I've seen as much as 40 PSI difference from the number one cross lay to the number two. And it was very significant to me that it came out that way. And we actually ran the gauges on there twice to make sure that we were getting that And that was on a newer truck. It was a brand new truck. Brand new truck. Hadn't even, it was a demo truck, actually. And um, part of it was because everyone wants their pump compartment to get smaller and smaller. We noticed that there were nine more bends from one to the other because they had to bring it around a manifold or do something from one crossway to the other from where they came off the actual pump itself. Wow. So it was was interesting to get that. The other thing, a lot of people run a uh, front uh, discharge, Mm -hmm. and in those cases, you'll find quite a bit of friction loss because it has to go over the front uh, axle, Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes they'll use rubber 
hose there also to be able to make that bend as opposed to hard plumbing it. And that'll cause issues at that mm -hmm. point. So how often normally for that rubber hose would it last for at those seams? It's going to be fine for the life of the, you know, the apparatus okay. 20, 25 years because they're, there's basically metal Victaulic couplings on either end mm -hmm. and they're swedging it together. So it's fine. It's just, it's an easier way to get around from having to manufacture or fabricate plumbing for the apparatus itself. Cost effective. Definitely. Okay. And that's where, you know, it's getting down to that at this point. Um, you know, apparatus today, 300 to 500 day lead time. So they got to find a way to, to cut, <laughs> to cut somewhere and, and get <laughs> it cut some corners through the process yeah <laughs> and not that they're trying to cheapen it up because they're like okay we're still going to get the amount of flow out of it yeah you know when you go and buy a brand new rig typically they're if it's 1500 gpm they're going to run the deck gun and they're going to run one or two other uh discharges to get it very few people go and test their inch and three quarter you know cross lays or whatever or rear pulls whatever they're doing so it's uh definitely something that you want to make sure is right when you're getting it. And that's where getting into going out and doing an actual flow. When you, you know, when we come in, we'll actually hook up a flow meter to the intake side and determine exactly what pump discharge pressure you need. What is so, the name of the company? So that way, if someone's wa if watching this and they think it's about Elkhart it, Brass. Just Elkhart Brass. Yep. Yep. Website, and you can Facebook. find all of us on the website, any one of the regionals. Go ahead and reach out. Uh, the Brass Tax Hard Facts. Mm -hmm. Lots of great videos there. It's over 60-something videos. That has really helped us and the people in the street figure out what are they truly looking for in attack packages to dial it in. Because, unfortunately, fire departments don't know what they don't know. Right. I can tell you, I get told numerous times that when I go in the door, yeah, we're flowing 150 gallons a minute and they've got a hundred PSI automatic and they're only pumping it at a hundred PSI at the truck. And it's like, okay, this will be the first time this ever happens that I get to see 150 gallons a minute. <laughs> and the only way it would happen is if the nozzle, maybe the baffle was out of there or something, but mm -hmm. you cannot do that. You have to have obviously friction loss in the plumbing and the hose mm -hmm. to get the hundred PSI at the tip. So that's uh that's definitely something different, but you definitely open up eyes when you get there that people start to get a better understanding of what's going on. And as I said, I work my way around the truck, figure out where, where we're at, ask the probing questions to say, where do we want to get to? And then we're hooking up to a hydrant and flowing water. It's a very active uh, operation that, that we want to be out flowing water and showing them the differences. We're very fortunate. We have a truck that probably each one of the regionals and myself uh, probably have 60 nozzles on the truck that they mm -hmm. can go ahead and try and evaluate, um, which is only one portion of the attack package. You get into hose. Once you start looking at hose, there's multiple different levels of hose that people do not understand what they have. And unfortunately, the person that's buying the hose is looking at cost. They're not looking at performance. And performance is critical when it comes to taking it. If you were running 100 PSI nozzles right now and you took a smooth bore and threw it on a 100 PSI hose, you're going to have a problem. It's going to kink. It's not designed to do that. So the, the hose of today, when you look at it, that this is a 100 PSI hose that you can see how easily and how flexible and malleable it is. I call it parade pack. If you can take and lay this on the rig and lay it flat like that, 
it's designed for high pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay, you get into something that's more designed for low pressure. I can barely bend it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's where you see so many people now that are doing different hose loads to get yeah. 200 foot pre-connect loaded on whatever it may be to be able to do that. But this requires pressure to build the jacket. This does not require as much pressure. And it's the way that they knit the outer to, to give it that robust outer jacket. And how many layers are there? There's actually on this one, there's two. There's two layers. Yeah, there's an inner and an outer. Uh, Liners, some have impregnated into it. Mm -hmm. There's multiple different ways that people build hose. And the funny thing is, is nobody really, you have to dig to find out truly what is going on within the hose to make sure it's the right application. If you are running low pressure, you want it to feel like a pool noodle in your hand. Mm -hmm. If it's kinking and doing all kinds of different things, it is not a good setup. And I'll even go as far as to show them what a bad setup is when I am in the field and then say, here, this is what a good, a good setup should feel like. What you're doing is changing the reaction force. A 100 PSI automatic flowing 160 gallons a minute has 80 pounds reaction force. A 50 PSI nozzle flowing 160 gallons a minute has 59 pounds reaction force. Today's fires, modern fires, flash over in less than four minutes. Mm -hmm. Traditional fires or legacy fires were 20 minutes. We had all the time in the world to get in there and put the fire out. So today we have to be moving and flowing as we're coming in the door. Putting water on the gases that are ahead of us and above us to go ahead and flow from when you hit the door and all the way through. Well, if you're fighting 80 pounds, it's pretty hard to get down the hallway mm-hmm. on a three-man engine company because there's really only two people two that are pushing the line. Yes. And that second guy is not behind you in most cases. Mm-hmm. He's back there keeping an eye on the corners or helping He's you 15, 20 foot back. Tick, yeah, rooms, exactly. Checking rooms, doing forward, a search, yeah. whatever it may be, jumping off the line quick to mm-hmm. do that. So that's where the change, the paradigm shift has been from 100 PSI to drop down to 50 PSI nozzles. It's that reaction force with limited staffing. Not everybody has five people on their rig, Mm -hmm. okay? It's typically three that we see a lot in the area that I'm typically running in in the Midwest. You know, you might run into four here and there. But there's a variety of what people are doing. The other thing that people don't understand is when you go to a smoothbore, there's something called the Freeman ratio. The Freeman ratio states that you do not want to be greater than half the diameter of the hose. So a inch and three quarter, a true 1.75 diameter will have a seven eighths tip on it. You're right in the Freeman ratio. You're exactly where you need to be. That's it. There you go. So that's a, that's a seven eighths tip. There are some people that like 15 sixteenths. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes people will take and put a 15 sixteenths on a 1.75. It doesn't really go well because it's outside of the Freeman ratio. So how can, you somebody, have, how can somebody tell if it's not going well? It's actually going to start to kink towards the end. You're going gotcha. to notice that. You're going to have to over pump it to get it there. That's why they design hose that's 1.88 diameter. That is half. So exactly what you're looking for, right in that half the diameter puts you in a great spot. You got great velocity. You have good, uh, they call the last five foot of the hose the bite. Mm -hmm. It gives that rigidity at the end because you might start out at 120 PSI at the truck, 
but a hundred foot out, I'm down to maybe a hundred. And then when I get to the tip, I'm, I'm right at that 50 PSI. So you're losing that. It's typically 30 on an inch and three quarter, but regardless, you're dropping down through there that you have pressure back here, giving it more rigidity. But it's when you get to the end, that's where everything starts to change in that last five feet is what you're looking for. A nice robust package in that area. When you came to our department, <clears throat> excuse me, last year when you came, mm -hmm. you brought a bunch of hose with you. We had, I think, four or five, I, I couldn't tell you the number, four or five lines hooked up, yep. preloaded already, yep. and we tested each one. We even had a two-inch a two, a two yes. that we tested out as well, which was, that two-inch felt, it felt so light, it was insane. Correct. And I was able to walk forward with it, stand back with it. I mm -hmm. mean, I was able to handle it all by myself. Something that's happened in the last, two, three years is they've gotten all these different hybrid hose mm -hmm. intermediates that I'll call it that were initially we had inch and a half. Then they went, then we went to inch and three quarter, which inch and three quarter can be anywhere from 1.75 up to 1.88, 1.91 and some larger diameter stuff. And then you get to a two inch, two inches unique in that you can get two inch, inch and a half coupled, or you can get two inch, two and a half coupled. It's all a matter of what's the mission. What am I trying to do with it? The difference between those two, besides the hose is exactly the same. It's the bowl diameter on the inside that you're going to get about three to five pounds friction loss greater with the inch and a half than you will with the two and a half. So then now somebody said, okay, let's do two and a quarter inch hose. Okay. It's a little bit smaller than two and a half. The difference in it is the amount of water in the tube. Mm -hmm. So when I go from two and a half to two and a quarter, I drop down about five gallons. Okay. Per section. Per section. So that's about 40 pounds less because a gallon of water weighs eight mm -hmm. pounds. When I go from two and a half down to two inch, now I'm dropping 80 pounds per hundred foot. Mm -hmm. So you look at that and it's like, okay, what am I really trying to do when you get that intermediate line for the McMansion or something like that, that I can get 200 240 gallons a minute out of where I need to be 250 for a commercial structure. All I got to do is slightly over pumping it. I'm right there. And that brought out these exotic tip sizes of one and a 16th, one and three sixteenths, different sizes out there to get different flows. Mm -hmm. And they started going from eighths to 16th, which was, which was unique, but it was great because now you were able to move and flow mm -hmm. with a little bit larger line. Yes. And taking a two and a half inside of a <laughs> inside of a building is not an easy task. Exactly. So that's where that two and a quarter really helped out some to get them where it needed to be. And it gave them the rigidity yes. in the hose line where sometimes some old two and a half inch hose does exceptionally well. But you get in that 80s, 90s and early 2000s, sometimes it gets a little wonky. And some of that two and a half inch hose in those uh, ages, you'll start to see it get to two and three quarter. So they make it bigger. Because everybody wanted to make everything bigger for some reason. 90s and early 2000s, they were oversizing stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was to get more flow out of them is what they were trying to do. So kind of loose, uh, like the Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, when you brought all that hose, I, I was, me along with a bunch of other guys, got our hands on different mm -hmm. nozzles, different reactions that each one had. Correct. And also the hoses as well. Things that Things that I was noticing that I thought were... These were things that I never thought about before you ever came mm -hmm. to our department, okay? Yep. And I've been on it for a few years at that time. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it was I was surprised with comparing your nozzle to the proper hose, mm -hmm. the the sizes of the interior of the hose. 
Correct. Correct. So that was that Freeman sure. ratio. Okay. That's yeah. what we were talking about with the smoothbores. It's 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 important, mm-hmm. but it also is on a combi tip because people don't realize that a combination tip, if that's a 160 at 50, it's the same surface area around the baffle mm-hmm. that gets us that orifice size of the 7 eighths. So that's exactly what it is. It's still a 7 eighths hole. It's just it's on a combi tip mm-hmm. that I can change from straight string to fog. That's the only real difference. Okay. So it, it's still the orifice size, but it's a baffle that's breaking it apart and bringing it back together. It's okay, not a gotcha. solid bore. What has been the most common attack line that people have gotten for inch and three quarter for, that you've noticed? Seven eighths has really taken off. And most people, at one time, it was people were doing a break apart where they had a slug tip integrated into there and then a tip mm-hmm. on the front end of it. And then that people shied away from that after a little bit. And now most people go with a smooth bore on one cross lay and a combi tip on the other, but paired together. This is a 7 eighths. That's a 160 of 50 matching tip hydraulic parity that you're looking for as long as you have similar plumbing and we're not running into an issue that you have to have different pump pressures. It just makes it easy. It gives the guys that want the smooth bore, but one line. The guys that want the combi tip, go ahead. Regardless of what you want, you have that option of both of those in there. Uh, the other thing it gives you the ability to do with either one of these, because it is a tip configuration, is now I can break and extend. 200 foot isn't enough to get to the front door. I can go ahead now and break and extend off of this, bring up a 100 foot bundle, mm-hmm. open up the shut off, and now I've got a nozzle on the other end, bring up my 100 Boom, there yeah, I go. I don't have to shut it off, you know, at the truck, mm-hmm. do any of that. Right there, everything's moving towards the fire, not away from it. So really makes it nice to be able to do that. And that's something that we certainly push when, you know, we're out in the field to make it easier because I down the road I can change mm-hmm. my attack packages very easily. But the, the biggest thing that we're seeing are those combinations. We're seeing the two and a halfs uh, where some people – and previously, we're running an indie stack, which is a inch and an eighth, inch and a quarter, going to that inch and three sixteenths tip. The inch and three sixteenths, if I pump it at 40, gives me 265 gallons a minute. If I pump it at 50, it gives me 300. And if I pump it at 60, it gives me 325. So it's essentially giving you the indie stack with an intermediate of 300 gallons a minute, which is five gallons a second. A lot of people start talking gallons per second. There's just so many numbers that you're saying right now. It's just like, I feel like I'm back at pre-algebra. Yeah. I but it's that class three times. And everyone's like, wow, how do you remember? It's just what you do. It's <laughs> a lot of drive time. We yeah. talked about drive time before that. <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of that going on in my head and, and figuring out, you know, what's right for the department uh, at hand. And a lot of it comes back to manpower. What mm-hmm. can they handle and efficiently deploy and move with whether it's, a team or F troop is basically what it comes back to. Do I have the right people that can move that? And you can't set it up for a you know a hoss like you. Oh, you got to set it up for you got to set it up for the median sized person mm-hmm. within the group. And that's what happens a lot of times is people get to that point where like, okay, this guy can do it. He can move the 15, 16 with the seventy pounds reaction force. But we really need to be looking at seven eight so the whole department can move, mm-hmm. move the line. And that's a that's a big part of what we do when we're out there is making sure that people do have the ability to move and flow the nozzle. That's that's critical. And we'll work through from, you know, 
inch and three quarter all the way up to a portable monitor or even a, a master stream and take them through the process of what are they what are they truly trying to get out of there because so on average i'm good for probably 100 flow demos a year mm-hmm. of that five percent of the people know exactly what they're flowing when i walk in the door and you would think the fire service would be a little bit better than that, that they yeah. would know. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay, what's the calculation that I'm looking for on, on my uh, my coefficient for the hose? And I'm like, throw that out the window because you don't know what the plumbing's doing. You don't know if that hose is delaminated. You don't know anything. And, you know, most people never get to do an NFPA 1962 flow test. There's very few departments out there that do that. And that's everybody pressure tests, right? You might have mm-hmm. FireCat or you do it yourself, come in and pressure test. But you are not physically flowing your attack package to know that your equipment is working properly. And that's, that's huge because that's the only thing between you and the fire. Mm-hmm. And if that fails, it's a bad day. If it fails in the closed position, it's bad. But if it fails in the open position, it's really bad for about 20 seconds until you get someone to shut it down. Yeah. So, Because you can't kink that. You just can't no. pinch it off. It's not stopping. And you can't put your thumb over the end. But <laughs> Like a garden hose. Like a garden hose. That's At 160 gallons a minute, you're not going to do that. What has been one of the most surprising things that you've seen going to do a demo at a department? And then I have a question after that about a different department, two different departments you went to in a similar time. Okay. Yeah. So so for me, I think the biggest thing is what we were just talking about that people truly don't know what they're flowing. That is that's big to me because everybody knows everybody checks their SCBA. How many people physically go out and check nozzles? You know, and look at them to make sure. Uh been to a department that went to one rig and they were missing five screws out of the side of the bale. I've found bales that were cracked of a rubber or plastic bale that were cracked and nobody noticed it. But I'm keying in on it mm-hmm. because I'm there to to look at the product. But that's huge that if you've got a defective piece of equipment, you know, NFPA says uh, we ran plastic uh, spinning teeth for a while, as did a, a couple other companies. And if you have more than three missing spinning teeth, the nozzle's not NFPA compliant. So uh, the fog pattern is important sometimes if I'm looking for protection. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure that you are checking, making sure it opens and closes. Testing it. Uh, there's still a lot of departments out there that run automatics that think they're getting, as I said, 150 gallons a minute. And the least I've ever seen was 60 gallons a minute. Wow. And they thought that they were, they, were, they were flowing 60 gallons a minute, and they thought they were flowing at least 150. So... That's a that's a scary thing when you go in the door. And and one of the things I'll ask as I'm going through and asking some probing questions with a department is what when was the last time you got your ass kicked when you went in the door? Tell me when was the last time and what happened and what did we learn from it? And most times it was we didn't think we were flowing a lot mm-hmm. enough. And that that's what happens. Fire's a bell curve, right? It goes up yep. and it comes down. You're either going to hit it here or it's going to burn down to your application rate over here. So if you're only flowing 60 gallons a minute, it's going to overrun you until it gets down to about here now. <laughs> so so that's four hours later <laughs> if you want to be there that long. So it's just a matter of getting in there and you know attacking the fire and making it happen. The, the other thing I'll say is I see a lot of departments that think because XYZ department next door changed everything and did that, we need to do that. That doesn't necessarily mean it works for you. 
Okay, just like so many people followed the 15 16th run because FDNY did it. FDNY has four or five people on a rig. Okay, they have manpower to be able to withstand the 70 pound reaction force. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean it works for you until you get out there and physically check it, go out, vet it, get in a building and flow, move, and, and make things happen. That's, that's the critical aspect that you've got to get to. Just don't change to change. And change takes time. Um, finishing up a deal right now that's five years in the making. So have had departments two, three years that it takes to get through the process. It, it, one thing about nozzles and attack packages, it bubbles from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. Because the chief, nothing's burning in town. Everything's good, mm -hmm. right? But the guys from the bottom want to make it easier. They want to go in and make their job more efficient. And that's where this comes into play is to be able to go out and do that and get out there and start playing with stuff. The guys that are the naysayers that are sitting on the Barker loungers, they're going to want to come out and see what are you doing. Why, why is the kid out there messing around and doing this? Get the, in, you know, get the whole department involved in the attack package process so that you get buy-in. Because it's going to take, you know, if you're buying new hose where you're used to buying it at $100 a, uh, a length, it's going to be $150 a length. So they're going to have to invest a little bit more money. But that's the only thing between you and the truck that's giving you the best possible outcome to get the most water through there without kinking. Kinks cause issues and drop gallons per minute. And you don't want that. I was at a department recently where we laid out their attack package. They were running 100 PSI selectables. And four people, as soon as they deployed the thing and they were starting to charge the line, they're all over there kicking kinks out. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty interesting because this is what they do normally. Yeah, They don't know what they don't know. And then threw on a hundred foot of good hose to be able to go ahead and say, all right, stop. Everybody stand back. Don't touch my hose. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 we got, no, don't touch it. Today's hose elongates. And when it elongates, it pushes out the kinks and makes it harder to kink when you have the right combination. And they were all just like, whoa, that's pretty cool. So they don't have to spend the time to kick the kinks out. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was a lesson learned, you know, and that was just a couple of weeks ago that that was like, wow, that was interesting. So just different. Yeah, that is very different. Speaking of different, mm -hmm. what have been some of the most different departments that you've been to? So th this is one that we talked <laughs> about. We talked about earlier. Yeah. So one, one day, the most memorable day for me to date has been, went up to Chicago, um, went and saw Squad 5 when they were evaluating Rams, and I got to flow with them for the day and uh, and hang out there for a little bit. And we're, we're flowing, and all of a sudden they get a, a call for a, a gas leak. And they're like, you want to go? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going. <laughs> so I rode backwards for That's 60, so cool. I think it was 62 blocks to a call. And we just sat there and talked for a while. Uh, lieutenant was like, yep, just hang back here. We'll, we'll, you know, we're just waiting to see what's going to happen. And nothing, nothing really happened. But then we drove back and had lunch. It was a good day. And four hours later, I'm out there in a Amish community flowing nozzles next one <laughs> foot off of an electric fence using a well that we had to make sure we didn't take too much water from 
the uh, irrigation system that was working its way around there that we weren't taking that furthest tip away and taking the water away from them to fill the rig as we were doing it. So you talk about two ends of the spectrum from Chicago to, you know, middle of Amish country flowing with some guys there. It was, good old Jebediah. That's it. It was, it was really <laughs> interesting that, you know, you saw all ends of the spectrum that day. But I'm very fortunate that um, being in the Midwest, I get to interact with some of the best departments, whether it's Detroit, Chicago, Indianapolis, uh, Cleveland, Columbus, Ohio, Lexington, Kentucky. I mean, just great departments of people that are really dialed in doing the right stuff. And, you know, I've got to ride on fire boats and, and do all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's, it's really neat when you get to do those types of things. What's been your favorite department to go to? Or still continue to go to? I would say Detroit. And the reason Detroit is I have a good relationship with the deputy commissioner there. Mm -hmm. And and he, he'll he take me to some really unique places and, and do different things. But they're also always evaluating what they're doing. They're, uh, they've had a couple good contracts the last couple of years. Uh, for large apparatus purchases where we had a lot of equipment on there, but we had to vet everything out. Mm -hmm. And um, Dave Fornell is the deputy commissioner there who wrote the Fire Streams Management Handbook. Mm -hmm. So so the guy's very hydraulically savvy and just getting to spend time with him and talk about different things. And it, it's awesome to be able to do that in the rich heritage that is at that department. Yes. Know some guys there. And what's funny is we talked about inch and a half a little bit. They still run inch and a half hose. They really? Yes. And that and but they overwhelm the fire with yeah. multiple lines yeah. coming off it. You're pulling six, eight lines off of a rig that they just overwhelm the fire with it, but it's what they've done forever. And it works. And you're, you're talking different um construction types up there when it gets into it and, and seeing different stuff. But as far as a big urban city, that's a, a great one. And and the city of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, a lot of good personal friends there, close friends that I, I get to flow with them. And they, they have an incredible training academy that will go out there and vet out stuff. They had me in for three days in a row flowing really? with them. Yeah. And I'm talking five hours a day where we were testing out different attack packages, wow. just dialing it down to the, you know, right down to the nitty gritty there and, uh, and, and making it work for them. And, and there was a good seven, eight guys out there that were just like, all right, what if we try this? Or what if we try this? And just everybody adding input to, to look at it and say, okay. Because there's a lot of different ways you can go. Um, it's just like, think about it. Well, have you ever been to two exact same fires? I've never been to two exact same demos. It always goes a different route. That somebody wants to try something different or look at something. I don't know what I'm getting into when I walk in the door. It's a matter of developing it mm -hmm. and developing it together of what is the right attack package for you. And, you know, all the companies that I listed under Safely, not one of them is a hose company. But in order for the product to look correctly and for the customer to be able to evaluate it correctly, I have to carry a hose with me. It's one thing that you got to have because it's what makes the whole ensemble work together. Yes. And that's that's critical. So, because yeah, you pulled up in your truck and you pulled out your uh, slide your tray, out. Your yeah, slide yeah, out yeah, tray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And just looking at that thing, I should have taken a picture of it. Yeah. Man, that was so cool. Yep. But you had some hose on there as well. And exactly. It's the different colors is what I always remember yep. most about it. Yeah. That's really yeah. how I remember it. And that's and it's all different hose sizes. Mm-hmm. An inch and three quarter, two inch, two and a quarter, and two and a half is what I run with. So, and um, it, it's what you have to have in the field. So, definitely. If there was a department in the United States that you could pick and work at, which one would it be? Mm, that's a good question. I'd actually say Columbus. Columbus. Columbus, Ohio, just because of the level of training that each of the people have in the street and how dialed in they are. And when I say dialed in, um, been to multiple stations that above their urinals, they have the pump discharge pressure chart. Really? Yeah. That's a good idea. It's awesome. Because you can sit there and look at, you know, yeah. engine 18, this cross lay, boom, 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 pre-connect, front discharge, rear, blah, 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 blah. All of it is there with what the nozzle is and what the discharge price That's is. That's such a good idea. It is because you're standing there anyway, right? Yeah, I'm Might as well look at something. <laughs> I ain't looking at much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, that's 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 actually one of the you know the premier departments that I would say that is is really dialed in. Um, they they do a really good job. So, and I mean, obviously, yeah, any cool. of the other big city departments would be all you know yeah. New York or whatever. But I think just for for pound for pound and what they get to see, they get to see a lot of a lot of fire and and a lot of jobs and just all types of different stuff. And they're doing a lot of different. They run you know TDAs. They run everything across the board that's so cool so it is cool yeah who's been somebody that's been a huge mentor to you that you look up to hmm Uh, it's funny i have multiple mentors within the industry and i was very fortunate at my 50th birthday party uh which was about six years ago um (laughs) that had quite a few of my mentors there and it's been a lot of bosses that i've had at different companies corporations or whatever it is but I'm trying to think of somebody that it's it's hard to single out because I'm doing such a variety of things mm-hmm. as, you know, overseeing a group of people. So I would have a different mentor that would show me how to to be a boss and, and do that. And, you know, one, one of my first bosses taught me how to remember numbers. And that's where that comes into play of all the different pressures and flows that that you have. But it would be pretty tough to single it out. Um, something that's been been interesting to me since uh, I've been at Elkhart was, you know, I've, as I said, I've been there over five years. That when I interviewed for the job, never did I realize that I would get to hang out with some of the best people in the industry, uh, whether it's you know. Kurt Isaacson, Ray McCormick, Steve um, Robertson, or, you know, even the guys I work with, you know, mm-hmm. Chris Martin, Jerry Herbst, just the, the best people that we all push each other, like a Brian Brush or somebody like that, you know. I'm the type of person that has to, you know, benchmark myself off of other people. If someone's doing good, I wanna I wanna be better. What can I do better? Or how can I spread that passion? Or or you know, explain to people what's truly going on within the industry. And you know, as we talked before that, you know, I'm I'm looking at six more years and I'm definitely at the point where I want to leave it better than I found it. I think I've done a good job to date because I'm out educating people and we're truly blessed that we work for a company that allows us to educate people 
you know, the, obviously it's a corporation. We have to, yeah. you know, you have to make numbers and do that. But their emphasis is on education. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about gallons per minute, we're talking about loons of a light or foam or, or whatever it may be. They want us to be what, what people refer to as a trusted advisor. That I, I get people that send me specs all the time and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Because at one time I was, you know, helping design fire trucks and ambulances. So it's a big part of what we all do and um, you know, working through that. And it's all life experiences mm-hmm. of what you've seen or what works well. So recently you posted a video on your Facebook about using a void space nozzle, mm-hmm. an impingement nozzle to like a 16 by on center, correct uh, two by four area mm-hmm. on the side of a house that runs up in a balloon frame structure or yep. up into an attic space or second floor. Just last so, week at water on the fire conference yeah, where yeah. it was really we a specialty. Dinner, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a specialty <laughs> nozzle, uh, station that we did, mm-hmm. um, and basically, we designed a prop that was 16 on center because it's truly designed for void spaces, but a balloon frame construction is typically going to be 16 on center. Yeah. So we went ahead and did that, that we had that hole already in there that you could see with plexiglass how the water was working yes. its way up and down in the void space. Um, then we had a horizontal void nozzle that we put up in a cock loft and we were able to see how far it shot out because with that you're using half inch tip on both sides and you're looking for the reach up in the lumber yard up in that you know big attic or whatever it may be to be able to get as much water up there as we possibly can and move it around or you know whatever elevator chase anything to get in there and do that and then the the other one that we did was a floor below nozzle which uh new york um asked us to bring back along with the horizontal void. And we did that. And basically it gives you the ability to be one, two or three floors below, get a nice lentil hit to where you get water going into the apartment that you can't get into or the the space that you can't get into and still make a great knock on it. You're flowing 265 gallons a minute. So you're getting a pretty good lick on it. You hit that lentil and it disperses throughout that whole room to, to get plenty of water as possible in there. Earlier, you talked about how much pressure it kicks back on for the nozzle for the void space. How yes. much was that again? You said the void was space zero. was zero because it was that half was inch zero. opposing. Okay. Because you got it going both ways. With the uh, floor below nozzle, mm-hmm. 265 at 50 is 98 pounds reaction force. But because it's on a four foot fulcrum, You've got it out pretty like far. That it, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a big stick big out stick, there. Yeah. And it's That's what's weird is when you open it up, it raises right up on you. you got to hold it down. And the other thing you have to do is have a spotter because you can't be back here and looking out the window to figure out where it's going. <laughs> yeah. So, And the, the one thing we realized during the uh, I had different people handling it was, are you telling the guy what to do on the where he is or are you telling him what to do on the tip, whether it's going up or down? And, and guys were doing it backwards. and But... It was nice that once you got it up there, you could hear it hitting above us. So it worked out really well. And then the uh, the last two things we did were a cellar and then a Bresnan distributor nozzle that we dropped in through a hole like we would have into a void space to fill that up and do that. So and which That was at a conference, right? That was at Water on the Fire Conference. Water on the Fire. Yep. That was in Pensacola. And you're going to one here recently as well. Yeah, I'm on my way next week. I got a 12-day run where I'm doing a Fire Don't Care conference up in Kent, Mm -hmm. Ohio. First year for it. A good group of people coming in for that. Uh, It'll be two days of hands-on. I've got four 
four hour uh, basic hands-on tracks uh, during that. So September 10th and September 11th. And then uh, go right from there to Firehouse Expo. So that's, that's in so Columbus. Cool. So One thing I didn't know until I started working with Jacob, he was telling me about all the expos and conferences that go on mm-hmm. throughout the nation. Because I've always heard of FDIC because it's yeah, in our backyard. Sure, sure, sure. But I had no idea there was this many. It's actually micro-conferences is what the term is for those. And it's mm-hmm. it's anywhere from, you know, you could have as many as a couple hundred people there. But those are what are really attracting the fire service today. Mm-hmm. And you're getting some of the top people coming to it. Um, and it, it really works out well because of the cost. You can keep that cost down on a micro conference and get, you know, quality instructors to go out there. Just don't go to any of them. Make sure vet them. Make sure the yeah. guy that's that's talking to him, regardless of what the guy tells you, go back to your department and try it. Make sure it's going to work for you. Just because it worked there doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. going to operate, you know, effectively in, in your jurisdiction. So you got to make sure that's a, a big part of it uh, to do that. But, yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I can't even tell you how many I do a year. It's probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 of the micro conferences really? that I'm doing, like Oath Keepers is one of them. Yeah. Um, I'll jump on with different groups like Make the Move Training, John Hall, great group of guys. Him and Joe Blank uh, have a great tr- group of guys that I'll, I'll jump on that they'll say, hey, you know, bring the truck and hang out and let's let's go flow and let me be an adjunct instructor on that. And it's, it's really nice to be able to do that because at first some people are like, nah, nah, he's the sales guy, you know, but physically I can't sell you anything. It has to go through distribution, so there's a line there. I'm like, no, he's the salesman. Go talk to him. <laughs> so what have been some of the the fires that have really stuck with you in your career? Hmm. One, when I was very young, uh, it was actually a company on the East Coast when I was out there. That Which department was this? This was at Nichols when Nichols. I was out there. Yeah, and it was a, it was a company called Hughes Printing. And um, they had uh, they were the ones who printed the Sunday circulars, uh, Sunday circular in the newspaper that you would get that would be like Parade magazine and sorry, it's a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> sorry. I'm so, just kidding. <laughs> but regardless, the I've one that has all the this. advertisements yeah. and all that that you get yeah. to to go to Kroger and buy this or whatever. So, um, with that, they had these twenty thousand pound bales of paper that were the throwaways and these were stacked up you know too high whatever it may it be bales of paper so were they wrapped like hay bales they or? would be wrapped like a big hay bale really? but they weighed twenty thousand pounds oh my god disgruntled worker two o'clock in the morning <laughs> uh punches the time clock oh and decides man. to go light one of those on fire so we show up and we're first due remember getting in there and we brought in uh, we had a, a stinger deck gun and we're sitting there laying, laying water to it. And I'm like, hmm. I was night crew officer then and remember saying, boy, we're putting a lot of water on this. This is going to get pretty heavy. One of these might come down. Mm-hmm. Remember I had a 16-foot uh, pike pole in my hand, wooden, 16-footer. And I no sooner turned around and said to one of the guys there, Ray, I said, hey, let's get away. I think this could come down on us. And I turned around and walked away. And that actual pike pole broke in my hand, and that bale fell right behind me. And can certainly remember that. Um, oh, that it was like, wow, that was, I'm down to eight lives now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, it was just one of those. Um, remember going to a fire down in Mount Vernon, 
uh, Indiana that lasted for like six days. It was a plastics plant that burnt and went down there and uh, hung out with Boots and Coots for a couple days. That was pretty cool. Um, Various just different ones. Every one of them different, you Mm -hmm. know, in their own. It's just a matter of that. Um, I I was actually a passerby on... uh, on five kids under the age of ten on my way home from college that, that mm-hmm. perished in front of me. That was a that was a real tough one, and you know sought out my chief to to help me get through that for a little bit. Um, but it's just one of those things. And I I remember a very vivid fire one time. It was um, four o'clock in the morning, and I had had my two uh, children and my two girls, and and going down into a basement fire that the guy had taken a chimney and put basically in the basement. He he attached it four times. In the basement, where he tapped into the the clay thimble really? from different sides to where he broke into there with a wood stove, and it just it it caught the basement on fire and it was a little bit of a hoarder condition. But I remember climbing down the stairs, like I said, four o'clock in the morning. You know, obviously flowing water going down there, but I remember the guy had like seven smoke detectors going off in a box, and the sound <laughs> of seven smoke detectors at once going off in a box was unique in itself and just like piercing. And I'm just saying to myself, wow. This is this is a different place to be, and you know we, we moved down and, and wouldn't put the fire out. But it was just it was one of those defining moments, you know, that you have that was like, wow, this is this is different. So was, what have been some of your more interesting calls? Now, I mean, calls is in anything at all: EMS, vehicle accidents, fires, anything, anything that sticks out to you. Because people always have interesting ones. Like someone asked me that question, I've got a different answer, of course, than anybody else would. I remember uh, one where Wreck uh, Gal got, I don't think she had her seatbelt up because she was partway out of the vehicle, hit a tree. It was a BMW. She was standing, or she was laying basically partway out of the vehicle. I mean, coherent, everything fine. And one of the guys came up, and then it was in a grassy area, and he stood on her hand. And she started screaming. She's just out of nowhere. She starts screaming. And she's like, ah, ah, he's on my hand. He's on. And I'm, I'm just trying to pick it up. I'm like, no, this isn't, you know. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, the guy's name was Pierre. I'm like, Pierre, get off her hand. <laughs> but he was physically standing on her hand. So it was just, that's one of those ones that you asked me, what's a crazy call? That would be a crazy call or a vivid that I remember as, as being one of those if someone asked me. What has been your most fond memory about the fire service so far with your 37 years on <sighs> something that reminds you but what i'm trying to capture is what it, what reminds you of home the most home being the fire service i'm gonna give you a two because the the initial one was being able to go to calls with my family mm-hmm. and then moving away from that department to three other departments that I've been on since then and and trusting those people as much as I possibly could as your own family mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I hate to say it but I'm from the east coast and some people in the midwest once you get enough further south they think you're a yankee so <laughs> <laughs> so so are they coming for you type thing but it, it's just that uh, the brotherhood of trusting the other person uh, whatever it may be would, would certainly be you know high on the list to, to move through that um, and and get that because uh, it's it's different everywhere you go. You got to have that trust factor uh, in the other person, especially 
you know, what's the amount of years and, and different departments that I've been on. So, so just getting to that point is, has been something quite unique. Um, but I'm trying to think of another based off of that. Um, Take your time. Yeah. Mm. Question again. The question. What, is, what has been, what has been a moment in your career that has reminded you of home most that you were the memory that you were most fond of? Like back when things were easy. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say uh, we were actually talking about it at dinner was riding the rear step. That was, that was something that I'm truly appreciative that I was able to do that and have seen so many changes in the fire service um, to where, you know, riding the rear step was, was something that you trusted that guy it's that trust factor mm -hmm. obviously both of those were that for me but that that taking it home to that um has has certainly been a part of it and for me you know every time i go into a firehouse it's it's almost like i am going home because every firehouse is the same you got the same guy you know you got the same guy picking on another guy joking around having fun mm -hmm. it's the same cast of characters it's just different faces. You, you don't realize until you do it a few times that it's like, you know, you're coming in as an outsider in a lot of cases, but people sniff you out pretty quick and they know whether or not you've been inside and, and you've done some stuff in the fire service very quickly by how you conduct yourself, how you act and and go through that. So uh, that that's a big part of it. But but just just being in a firehouse makes me makes me feel very comfortable um to to that but is done as long as i have you you do that in as many different ones you know it doesn't matter where you are somebody's like hey have a cup of coffee let's sit here and talk or or do whatever they're they're very open and appreciative once they get past that initial of who who really is this guy walking in and unfortunately today the fire service uh does a lot of homework and they know immediately who you are before you even walk in. I guess it's fortunate because then you don't have to go through the whole introduction process. Mm -hmm. But they can easily easily troll you on Facebook, figure out who you are and, and what you do. And, you know, I you've obviously been to my Facebook. I have a mm -hmm. Andy Plofkin Facebook, uh, Andy Plofkin-Fire. And I have a, a personal one that, you know, I make pancakes for my kids on. I don't think the fire service needs to see that. So <laughs> I kind of keep that personal. <laughs> but... It was something that uh, you know people taught me very early when I got in the in the positions that I'm in that you you want to have a little bit of that separation. Mm -hmm. So, especially with like politics and stuff. Exactly, that's one thing you don't talk about politics. You don't talk about underwear, and you, <laughs> those are the certain things you just don't bring up. I get a, my, I get in trouble a lot. I talk about politics. Yeah, religion. I, I enjoy debate and religion. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I enjoyed. I like to push for it sometimes. Yep. And I, I, I always like a person who's educated in it that can try to prove me wrong. There you go. I'm usually wrong this time. <laughs> the, the big thing is, though, is that once you put yourself in that position of politics or religion, you, you almost alienate 50% of the people you're talking yeah. to. And that's, that's something that you're trying to make sure that everybody has a good experience and understands mm -hmm. the, you know, what you're trying to portray to them. Mm -hmm. So 
And that's uh, that's that's a big part of what we all do in the field. And you know, I, as I told you, I'm the national sales manager, but I'm a working boss. I still mm-hmm. I'm still responsible for a bunch of accounts and a couple OEMs and and do quite a bit. So it's not like I sit around and at a desk all day. I'm okay, doing forty five thousand miles a year and getting out and visiting departments. So it's what you got to do. Seeing all these these firehouses and meeting all the guys and gals that work there, what's something that you see across the board that gives you hope for the future of the fire service? Biggest thing to me would be how the internet can be your biggest enemy, but it can also be your biggest ally because people are challenging each other, whether it's different websites, Engine Company Resurrection, any one of these other ones that people can get information. But just because that information is there, don't trust it, go vet it. Mm -hmm. You got to go out and try it. And if you post one thing out there, you're going to see 76 different opinions. But what works for you? There's knowledge is power. And if you have that, you can go out and learn so much and and do that. And that's one thing I'm seeing in the fire service with the youth of today. They want knowledge. And they they want to be a part of something. And you know it as well as I do, whether or not you want to be there the first time you're stuck somewhere in a fire and it's like, holy crap, this could get bad real quick. And you know that you want to be there at that point because all the other senses are taken over. And mm-hmm. when you can't see, you can feel and hear and whatever it may be that all that comes to light very quickly and, and things slow down. And that's when everything's starting to fire, you know, and you're, and you're getting it. So, but no, that, I would say the biggest thing is, is the knowledge that's out there because back in the day it was the ifs, the manual was all I had. And, you know, Anybody that was immediately around me, if I didn't get outside of my bubble, I, I truly didn't know what else was going on. You know, like you said with FDIC. Well, if yeah. you went to a couple other micro conferences, yeah, I, yeah, you would you'd be like, "Wow, this is a totally different animal." And FDIC isn't a great show, but you've got so many people; it's hard to hone down mm-hmm. and get down to you know the the level with the, the the best in the business. As I was saying before, the people that I get to interact with. Anybody can do that at any one of those conferences that they're at. They're just regular guys that want to spread, spread the knowledge, spread the passion, and, and do that. And it, once that happens, it starts to feed, and everybody wants to get that more and more. You know, when 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 I'm going to places like that, I come back reinvigorated as much as, you know, the students do, because I'm seeing something new. It's like, wow, okay, I, mm-hmm. that that's cool. I can pass that on, you know, but that's that's a huge part of it. What's really cool about the fire service is I hear this all the time. Of course, the older guys, and I, I get to see it too. Technology changes every day now. Mm-hmm. And there's new products coming out mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. So it's an, it's an ever-learning, evolving exactly. trade. It's just it doesn't stop. No. And that's the cool thing about it because mm-hmm. when you first came in, it's it's not the same old, you know, walk into an assembly line, you punch in, you punch out, you do the same thing every day. No. It's the first day you walk in. And that's, you are never not going to learn something, something every single day. Exactly. Exactly. Every single day. The rest you can learn as much as you want to, but you have to put into it to mm-hmm. learn and, and retain. Retention is huge. <laughs> I understand <laughs> you know? that. I, that's hard for me to retain. <laughs> it, it's all based on our experiences. That's, that's the, the best thing to be able to retain that and, and bring it back to, holy cow, this is what happened. How do, how can I make this work? And, uh, and, and go from there, but it's, it, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, for me, uh, 
as I said earlier, no two days are ever the same, but it's that learning gives me the ability to want to strive for more constantly. And you know, 39 years, I still want to learn more. Yeah. And that's cool that you can continuously learn from the best of the best. If you weren't a firefighter or working at Elkhart Brass, what would you be doing? <laughs> it's funny. I know exactly what I'd be doing. So, <laughs> and I've told multiple bosses this over the years, that if I wasn't doing this and involved in the fire service, I'd be working for Consumer Reports breaking shit every day. What? Yeah. I would love to just go test stuff and break stuff. That would be awesome. You know, Consumer Reports test stuff? That's yeah. that book thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to go and test things and break things and, and dissect it. Yeah, I know, huh? <laughs> that actually sounds kind of fun. It wouldn't, wouldn't it be a blast just yeah. to do that and, and test things to their limits? That would be cool as hell. That would be something I'd enjoy. That would be really cool, actually. See? I might apply tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's actually really... I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Why don't you start your own company and just do that? Well, there just, you go. I guess I could. You could totally do that. 100 days off, if you have any. Never. I don't think you do. <laughs> Very few. Um, but it, it's a matter of that you've got to be able to decompress some days. Mm -hmm. You know, for, for myself... Like I said, 45,000 miles a year, and I'm probably 120 nights a year in a hotel room. Oh. The one thing I can tell you about a hotel, it's 14 steps from the bed to the toilet in most <laughs> hotels, regardless of where you are. And it's just one of those things you get used to it. And, and COVID slowed us down enough that you don't realize how much of a, what I'll call the hamster wheel that you're on, mm -hmm. that you're constantly doing that, that you're going from place to place to place to place, that when you don't do it for a while, and you go out and do it, it's like, wow. You don't realize that you're doing it at that moment because you're, you almost, I don't want to say you're, you've got the blinders on, but you're just focused on what you have to do. And you step back from it, it's like, wow, what that, I'm really grinding. That's, that's good. It, it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's just that you realize it at that moment, you know, because we got shut down for 90 days. They, really? they took us off the street and said, we want you to stay home. We're going to protect our most valuable asset, which is, you know, the people that are in the street. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard to go out and find someone that wants to do what we do, mm -hmm. you know, especially on this side of the fence where, where we're out educating and, um, and and doing that because it's long hours, it's weekends, it's nights, it's whatever it may be. So it's, uh, it, it's you, you got to be right for it. And uh, that's what that's what makes it fun because not everybody gets to do this. Mm -hmm. What has been the most worst hotel you've stayed at? There's got to be some trashy ones out there. There is. So, stayed in a one or two motels that were kind of dicey, but oh, no. I'll never forget. This was very early in my career. Went into a it was a Motel Six, and checked in real late. It was like eleven o'clock at night, and went opened the door pushed it open, and when I closed it, there was the pen sitting on the floor. And used I'm like, it was, it was enough to be used that I'm like, I'm not, nope, whoop, turned around, right out, and went to the front desk and went to another hotel. Never stayed in another one of those. So <laughs> that was one and done, as they say. Done. <laughs> so, but that was probably the worst experience mm -hmm. that um, had in a hotel. So, 
Right. Other just little, you know, BS things that you ah, deal okay. with that, you know, people partying or something like that that you, you deal with. But it's pretty much sleep anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no different in a firehouse with all the noise you deal with. You deal right. with a lot of other background noise or whatever. So With uh, traveling around and... Do the guys ever invite you in for dinner or lunches? Yeah, sure. Been to dinner, been to a, I was up in Traverse City, Michigan. Guy told me he made a great old fashioned and took me to his house and made me one. That's awesome. So it was, you know, it was awesome just to to interact on that level with people. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've ate chow at plenty of firehouses and, and have done stuff like that. Got in trouble at one department because I helped clean up and got yelled at for that. Really? Yeah. It's their culture. You the guest does not help with anything. Was so, it like a, a legit chew, like the, the, chewing? The, the guy, yeah, yeah, he was serious because he was going to get his ass chewed because I was helping clean up. So you don't do it. That is so cool. It is. It's tradition. Yeah. It's it's that part of it that you don't do it. What is something up for a, a department who doesn't have like a rich heritage? What is something that? How can they adopt stuff like that? The thing about it is, is you got to know where you started, where you came from. And I'm somewhat of a buff. I've owned two antique fire apparatus over the years. So I'm a heritage type of guy, like the old, you know, stuff and where the the whole industry started, uh, the the fire service in itself. And the, the thing is, you don't find too many departments. If a department only started in the 50s, they probably still have their first rig. Yeah. And I'm the type of guy that when... I'm coming to your firehouse. If you have an antique truck, I'm looking at it. And I'm going to be going over it and checking mm-hmm. it out and, you know, just looking to see what that department built or whatever. But getting the the original equipment or, or anything of the origin is, is so important to the, to the health of that fire department to see where they started. The old log books, any of that stuff is so cool to go back and read if you have it try it some night that's just so cool to see when they were handwriting how much equipment was on the rig if it had 500 feet of two and a half if it had a two and a half inch nozzle if it had a belt mounted s belt uh belt mounted scba or something like that that it's like wow this is cool or how did they get their first truck and you know a lot of that came with my two trucks that was able to read on both of those from the department gave me those books so that is cool stuff and you could do, you know, a search within the, the township itself that you belong to, to to find that or figure out where the first rig is. There's a lot of departments that had, you know, horse drone back in the day or, or whatever that you can trace it back to that. A lot of department historians, that, that that's something that they latch on to and enjoy um, to, to be able to do that and see where they came from. Because you can't progress unless you regress to see where you started. So Yeah. That is so cool. You have a really cool opportunity with going and meeting a bunch of other people in the fire service and, and seeing their houses and, and going to these large departments and small departments and seeing it's, what they do. It's all over the board and no two days are the same. You, you get to see some really neat stuff that people are doing that you can tell other departments about regardless of, of what it is, how they're doing it or, you know, there's a department up in uh, Wisconsin that used to love to go to very rich in heritage, but all their trucks were black 
and it was just it was Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. Slept there a couple times that over the years. So cool to have a black fire truck. It was all black, everything was black there, and the the chief who passed away a few years ago, um, Chuck. He was just his nickname was Fire Truck Chuck, and he had fire all kinds of truck. antique fire memorabilia, like I've never seen. Really? The guy had a lot of stuff, and you know. As you said, seeing a lot of different departments, but there, there's dealers. Um, there's a dealer up in Michigan that actually moved to Grand Rapids Firehouse brick by brick and rebuilt it on his facility. Really? Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And just just seeing some of the stuff that some people do with, with what they have, mm-hmm. you know, Re- redoing the antiques or, or any of that is just, that's that rich heritage that you don't see. And, um, you know, we talked about it um when I was driving, uh, that growing up on the East Coast, that level of heritage is totally different than the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean that when I was on the East Coast, all summer long, probably from Memorial Day to Labor Day, I was in a Class A uniform marching in a parade almost every Friday night, and we were showing off our rig. And that's what they did, parades. Parades were very popular. You have these little city venues here where somebody does a, you know, a county, um, uh, some type of a county fair or something like that. This was the town's fair slash parade. And we would do that throughout the summer. And then we would compete in the state convention. And, and we would have the best custom apparatus. We'd have the best rescue. We'd have this and that. And you were competing against 20, 30, 40 other departments for that. Mm-hmm. That we would work on that truck for two to three weeks before. We had a, we had a lift system in our station. What? that Yeah, we had a, a Hetra lift system that we could raise the truck up and paint every nut and bolt. You got judged by 10, 12 judges walking next to the truck, checking everything from if there was dirt on it or whatever, or make sure everything was spot on like it should be. That is so cool. Never did this once in the Midwest. No. Just different. But that's that's what they did. It's all different to the different areas. Um, where I live now by St. Louis, uh, on the Illinois side, they do firemen's uh, picnics. And just went to one a couple weeks ago, and um, they had all their rigs out. For the little town, I don't think the town had 500 people in it, but there was 3,000 people there for this thing. And they cooked fish. Uh, they had a beer stand. They had everything, and that's how they made their money. So, that is so cool. It is just a different, you know, from different pockets where you go and see different things. It's pretty cool. But the, the Northeast definitely, you know, obviously near and dear because of where my family's from and everything. But just seeing that that doing those parades was was something that you you got to interact with you know mutual aid departments response and and meet people from all over the state that you wouldn't normally mm-hmm. you know so it was pretty cool and they had a fenced in area all the hot dogs you could eat and beer you could drink for five bucks so it was all over that <laughs> fenced in area to keep fenced all the it was it was a big snow <laughs> fence and they'd have tons of beer in there and everything it was just a blast it was a, awesome. it was a good time yeah so. Is there anything that you want to say to anybody back at home listening to this? Uh, no, just miss y'all. That's all. It's uh, you know, it's where I started. Mm-hmm. You know, won't forget it. Um, lived at that station for a long time, and that was uh, just a great start for me. You know, within the fire industry, fire service. Mm-hmm. That that that's where my roots started, and now you know, branching out, doing so many different things. It's it's pretty cool 
to, to be able to, to look back and, and know that I, I got a good start and, you know, a good footing to, to build on. So that was, uh, definitely having that back there. And obviously I talk to my family quite regularly, but they're, they're a big part of that whole group there. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything you want to push real quick? No. Or you think you got it all? I don't know if I got it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could definitely do it again. Uh, well, Andy, I want to say just thank you so much for just taking the time and mm -hmm. just, I mean, just from driving all the way from St. Louis all the way here, we got something tomorrow, but yep. thank you for taking your time, your evening and taking us out to dinner as well. It was, yeah, it was awesome. No, appreciate you having me. It's, it's been awesome to be able to, to talk about it and have someone that's interested in listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my, I, I understand that. My, my wife loves listening to me. There you go. Every time I open my mouth. That's right. So, well, thank you so much, sir. Thank I, you. I hope to have you on again at some other point. Not yeah. putting you on the spot, but I'm putting you on the spot. So. That's fine. Would so, love to. So thank you very much for being on. Awesome. And then we're good. I'll just crop that part out. <laughs>